Welcome to the Interesting Football Podcast. I'm Laurie Knox and I'm joined by former Philadelphia Eagles UK fan club member Simon Day as we decide whether Manchester City are the most interesting club in the Premier League. Mr Day, how are you and what's the first thing you think of when you hear the name Manchester City? I'm okay. Um, Yeah, obviously being a Gillingham supporter, um, the first thing I think of with Man City is the 1999 League One playoff final. Ouch. Um, Yeah which is all set to be the best day in Gillingham's history. We were 2-0 up with no minutes to go, about to make it to the top two divisions for the first time in our history. And then Man City scored two goals in injury time and beat us in a penalty shootout. Um, and we didn't make it. And it, it's comfortably the most upset I've been at a football match. Um, it was... If it makes horrendous. you feel any better, though, Manchester City had a Sheffield Wednesday fan in goal. I did, Nicky Weaver. Yeah, he celebrated in front of us when they ran the length of the pitch, Emmanuel Adebayor style, to celebrate in front of the Gillingham fans afterwards. See, Adebayor, people say that was a really harsh celebration, and it was, but I, I get it. Nicky Weaver, though, I mean, what, what did Gillingham do to him? I mean, that's I a bit harsh. I don't, I, don't, I don't mind. I don't mind players doing that. It, it wasn't the low point of the day, Nicky Weaver. <laughs> Celebrating like that. I mean, genuinely, the Adebayor one is probably my favourite ever celebration. Right. <laughs> Absolutely loved it. I, I find it so funny when, when players celebrate in front of opposition fans and opposition fans just can't handle it, can they? <laughs> it's like, it's as, if, it's, as if, it's as if the player said they're sleeping with their wife, basically. They just can't handle it, can they? It's so right. weird. One of my favourite of those was just before the just before the lockdown when Jamie Vardy, of course, a lifelong Sheffield Wednesday fan, scored at Bramall Lane. And that's a great one because he obviously absolutely milked that, as you would imagine Jamie mm-hmm. Vardy would. And, uh, and yeah, like you say, the Sheffield United fans, yeah, it was they, they took it personally. But, uh, yeah, happy day. It's just something football fans can't cope with for some reason. Your player does it. It's amazing. Oh, the banter on yeah. that guy. Happens back to you. No, no, that's just too far, too far. Yeah, you've just, just got no respect, have they? No respect. I mean, for me, when I think of Manchester City, I mean, um, I, I think of David Hurst saving a penalty against Manchester City in the early 90s. David Hurst, a Sheffield Wednesday striker, for those of you who don't know. Um, and for me, I also think about, you know, Manchester City. It's, it's really weird nowadays. Amongst younger fans, they've got a bit of a reputation for having rubbish fans or the empty hat. And all that. But Manchester City, probably, you know, going back to the 90s and the noughties, the era when you were talking about, they they probably had the the most loyal fans in the country. They were the first big team to went, go down in my lifetime, to go down to the third tier and still average like 30,000. You know, a couple of big clubs. I think, I think Wednesday, the most we've averaged in that division, 25, 26. Leeds have gone down there, Forest, and had decent crowds too. But Manchester City, in a division where the average attendance is like four or five thousand to mm. most games, they were getting thirty thousand week in, week out. So, so yeah, for me, their fans are something we, uh, yeah, we should appreciate. Well, yeah, I can I can remember going to Main Road during that season um, for an early season nil nil draw, which clearly was a brilliant result for Gillingham. Um, but if there being like thirty five thousand Man City fans there to watch them play Gillingham in League One, and she's like, yeah. fair play to them, fair play. And in a way, you'd kind of rather, uh, you'd rather they were like that, you know, like they've got loyal fans rather than just having, you know, all of a sudden 90,000 turning up every week to watch their latest stars. So, you know, kind of, kind of appreciate that, you know, whereas 
I know teams like who can I pick on? Who's pretty bad? Like Chelsea. I mean, what were they doing yeah. in the eighties? Were they on like twenty thousand or something in the eighties? Well, Liverpool dipped, didn't they? They did indeed in the night. Yeah, they were they were getting kind of low thirties when they went through a, a slightly dodgy a mid-table era. Um, I think maybe the kings of this were. I'm getting onto them in a couple of weeks' time. Is Newcastle? Because I'm right. when Newcastle when Newcastle went down a division, their crowds really plummeted. Not, Is that right? I'm not talking about recently, but in the early 90s when it went down a division. Right. Yeah. Um, which, is, which is amazing because by all accounts, they have the best fans in the country, don't they? So you'd think, <laughs> you'd think they'd all be loyal, but apparently but it, it appears a lot of them didn't go to the lower division games. But It, it can be weird because, like I said, I think it was the last full year we had in the, the third tier, Wednesday average, I think it was about 26,000. That's very good. Uh, but our last year in the Premier League, I think we averaged 19. So, not so good. Uh, but well, um, this isn't cropping up in one of the three facts, but a quick bonus fact is that Man City have the record for the highest ever attendance um, for a home football league game. Oh, yes. Yes, I, I seem 80, to remember that. 84,000 turned up wow. for Man City game once. Because it isn't one of the three facts, I've no more information than that. So I don't know when it was, <laughs> who it was against, what happened, why 84,000 people turned up. But Man City do hold that record. I like it. I like it. Well, Mr. Well, Day, you say it's not one of the facts. Why don't you hit us with the first fact? The first fact is that Man City are the only league champions to be relegated the following season. Really? Yep. In 1937 to 1938... Manchester City were relegated, having won the league the season before. That's and outrageous. Bo- and lots of bonus facts here. It was probably the most ridiculous ever season of English top flight football. Because Man City got relegated. They scored the most goals in the division. <laughs> wow. They scored 80 in their 42 games. They conceded 77. <laughs> so basically, on average, both teams were scoring twice every match, virtually. How do you get um, relegated with a positive goal difference? What? Yeah. Best of all, though, the gap. So this was a 22-team division, 42-game uh, season, two points for a win. The gap between Arsenal, who won the league, and West Brom, who finished bottom, was 16 points. So I'm sure. I'm sure Man City won the league by more than 16 points in recent times. I think. Um, I think we should point out this is two points for a win, but still, obviously, pretty damn impressive. Yes, uh, Man City also get this in their 21 away games that season, they scored the most away goals in the division. Wow, brilliant! But they only won two games, <laughs> which doesn't make any. It doesn't make any sense. I know one of the games they won was 7-0 away. <laughs> so I assume they thrashed the team in the other one and then lost a lot of high-scoring games by the odd goal. Uh, but it just sounds like an utterly bonkers season. It does. And, yeah, I'm thinking about that 16-point difference from top to bottom. You know, think about that. That's, um, well, to change that into today's money, you know, three points for win. That's, that's still, what, 24 points different, you know. <laughs> League winners on 70 points and then 46 bottom. That, that's out. And you think about it, 22 teams, actually, probably probably even closer than that because only yeah. 20 teams. So you, you, you'd have like with, with four or five games left of the season, everyone had something to play for, <laughs> which is bizarre, isn't it? Um, two points for a win, though, that seems like um, 
when they thought football doesn't go through many sort of major rule changes, but that seems quite substantial. And a good points for win isn't something I think about. Oh, I really wish we still had that, like in the World <laughs> Cup. Yeah, it's not. It's not like yeah. It's like I heart back for the back pass rule, but I don't. I don't heart back for two points for win. <laughs> um, but the other sixteen points between top and bottom, you get bigger gaps than that in World Cup qualifying groups, don't you? That's very true. That's very true. Like five team World Cup qualifying group. So it just had like an utterly bonkers season. Um, and Man City, despite I sort of I tried to look up, did they have like loads of injuries or loads of players left them or financial trouble? And it sounds like no, not at all. They just sort of well, pretty pretty the last ten years it was called like being a Man City sort of thing to do, they, they just completely collapsed the following season and just couldn't defend and fall apart. Thinking about that in terms of what, what's the closest we've had to that, maybe Leeds United? I don't think um, I don't think they were in danger of relegation, but I think they finished in the bottom half, didn't they, in 92-93? Uh, I think Leicester might have done after they won the league. I think they might have finished 12th or something. Oh, did they? Okay. Yeah. I suppose Leicester's come up the, the other way, like a team that was pretty much relegated with 10 games to go in the season, just staying up and then winning the league. That's probably the closest the other way around. But um, uh... Yeah, I think, and I think we can confidently say that's never going to happen again in our lifetimes. Is it? <laughs> How about Blackburn? Did they, did they kind of... No, Blackburn, Blackburn came close to the season. Oh, sorry, the season after. No, I think they went down about three or four seasons afterwards. Right, but I mean, I think they dropped off fairly quickly, didn't oh, they? Massive, they got yeah, the they league title and then, and then that was it. Job done. Yes, totally. Um, and obviously, I, I can't, I don't know whether Man City have got enough points to be mathematically safe from relegation this season. So. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Right. Okay. Mr. Day, let's, uh, let's go over to the quiz now, the 60 second quiz. So at the moment, you're, I think it's 5 4. Anyway, you're, you're winning by one. Um, yep. You've won one more than you've lost. Um, we have, what have we got? We've got 22 correct answers. Um, and you need to score eight to get par. To get below eight, I win. Get above eight, you win. Um, And what it is, is since 1984, um, Manchester City have had 22 players of the year who were not English. So 22 players of the year who were not English. 1984, and that does include other UK countries. Um, Your time starts now. Aguero. Yes. De Bruyne. Yes. David Silva. That's three. Bernardo Silva. Well, that's four. Ten seconds gone. Uh, Ruben Diaz. Oh, my God. Storming it. That's five. Yeah, I might slow down a bit now. Uh, Vincent Company. Vincent Company. You've got him. That's six. What's par? Eight. Oh, close, close, close. Two more to go. Next. Edison. Edison is not there, no. Laporte? Nope. Let's go back further. Let's go back further. Paul Dickoff. Oh, I like that, but no. Oh. Three seconds to go. Yeah. Um, Sean Gota. Oh, you got Sean Gota. Feed the goats. Got it. Um, Palo One Chop. <laughs> I like it, but no. Oh. Um, We're all over. We're all over. Simon oh, Day, you are. Can I, can I throw it? Oh, it's too late now, but I was just thinking, Georgie Kinkladze. Kinkladze was in the uh, Uwe uh, Rossler, similar era. 
Niall Quinn and Colin Hendry from the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and also a shout out to Richard Dunn, who won the award four years in a row, um, which, is, which is pretty impressive. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard of that before, but uh, certainly not a Wednesday. Um, uh, and, uh, another one for you, Carlos Tevez. Uh, there we go. Wednesday legend, Carlos Tevez. Oh, because of Sheffield United, yeah. I, I was getting bogged down in the Pep Guardiola era there. Mm. I, I, didn't, I didn't go back further. These anyway. things happen. These happen. But anyway, a solid effort, a solid effort. Um, so we're we're back we're back on level terms now. So um, next week, obviously Manchester United. Oh, I've got a good one lined up for Manchester United. So um, yeah, okay. Anyway, um, let's have fact number two. Fact number two is from the Pep Guardiola era, and it is Edin Dzeko scored the first ever Premier League goal to be awarded by Goal Line Technology. Ooh, oh, how how long has that been going on for? Uh, eight years. This was in 2013. Okay. Against Cardiff City. So this is, to, to sort of give it a, a bit of context, this means the goal would not have been awarded had the referee not had a beep and the goal line technology showed that the ball crossed the line by millimetres. Um, so it's a goal that in the old days would not have been awarded. Um, okay. Yeah, so this came in the 2013-2014 season and was then used in the 2014 World Cup. Um, so this was like a good five, six years before VAR was on the scene. When was Lampard's goal against Germany? Twenty. Well, that was 2010, and that was one of the triggers for FIFA. Because FIFA had um, tested this in 06 um, and rejected it. And then Lampard's goal came along. And there was another big furore about, like, Felix over the line. Why can't this be simply decided? Um, and they looked at it again, and a couple of years later, they decided to give it. Ironically, the last tournament without it um, was Euro 2012, when the opposite of Frank Lampard's goal happened. England, um, England conceded a goal against Ukraine where the ball went over the line and the referee didn't give it, and there was no goal line technology. So, and it could, I think Ukraine needed one more goal, but it could potentially have knocked England out of the tournament had it been given. So, what are your feelings on this? I know it's a, it gets a lot of mixed response with things like uh, this goal line technology and, of course, uh, VAR. Uh, what do you think? Um, goal line technology, I can begrudgingly accept because the ref gets a beep, so there's no delay. It's just, you cross the line, get on with it, it's a goal. I'm all right with that. That's kind of been put in fairly seamlessly. I haven't got a problem with that. Um, VAR can get in the bin. It's just, <laughs> I, I, lo- I, I used to love the fact that, unlike most other sports, football retained its human element. And right. Get, like, don't you, the average Gillingham game I go to, the referee will get, let's say, three or four decisions wrong. But the players make a hell of a lot more mistakes than that. So <laughs> I, I'm, I, I can cope with the referee getting three or four things wrong. And as long as, unless you, unless you think the referee's bent, then it all evens out, doesn't it? It does always amaze me just how good, uh, especially the, uh, the the assistant referees, the linesmen are at. You know, so many times you look at it, you watch it. You've got the hindsight, you've got the benefit of the TV as well. That was definitely offside. The linesman doesn't give it, and then you see the replay, and like you know, nine times out of ten, the linesman's got one up on me. It's like, damn, that's. Uh, uh, yeah. They've got, they've got to travel fast as fast as the ball. 
haven't they to keep up with play? Right. Ridiculous. Um, and now, now, well, this is another reason why VAR's crap. It's because now you're offside because of your armpit, aren't you, or your toe, or whatever. It's just. I feel like I could probably have 95% of goals disallowed if you gave me 20 seconds of tape in the uh, before the goal. I feel like I could. Every single corner in the Premier League should be either a free kick or a penalty. Um, yeah. I mean, if you look at it now, it's got ridiculous where you see you know, someone stands in front of the goalkeeper and then somebody just comes over and just basically rugby tackles him. And it, it, it's, got, it's got ridiculous now. And I would quite like to see them go to town on that just... I know it obviously wouldn't take long because the players would change pretty quickly, right? But if you if they just said, right, we're just going to give every single offence in the area like that. But, uh, but yeah, anyway. No, I agree. I agree. I think if they just had a weekend, the referees got together and said, right, this weekend we're going to give a free kick or penalty every corner. <laughs> then it would soon <laughs> stop, wouldn't it? Um, but yeah, I, I just think <clears throat> I, the human element and VAR, there's such a long delay now, isn't there? If right. I, if I was if I supported a Premier League club, which is probably never going to happen, when we scored a goal, I, I think I'd be very reluctant to celebrate it because I'd be thinking, was that in? Was that was the offside? Was the offside ten seconds ago? Was there a suspicion of a handball there? <laughs> um, and then and then when the goal does get awarded by VAR, it's not the same, is it? No. Yeah, we it's scored. No, it's not yeah. not the same passion. <laughs> yeah, we scored thanks to the big screen. Um, yeah, it's not the same, is it? Uh, and another thing I'd say is that with football, where they've messed up, I know, you look at games like, like you look at the NFL, you look at tennis, they, they've made it part of the game. You know, um, cricket as well, right? You know, it's kind of, it's tactical. You know, you get three decisions. You choose when to make the decisions. And, you know, things like it comes to the end of the innings, you've still got a review left, we might as well use it up at the beginning of the innings. You, you know, you're a bit more hesitant. You know, yeah. There's tactics in it there, whereas obviously in football, there there are no tactics with it. It's just it's kind of on the whim of the referee. Well, yeah, if it, if it came down to sort of NFL style or cricket style where you've got free reviews and you choose when to use them, then at least that's a little bit more interesting. I still, I don't think I like that in football. And maybe you lose a sub. So you've got three subs slash, um, slash reviews. And that kind of, you know, you could something along those lines. So you yeah, actually get yeah. punished for uh, for making um, stupid reviews. Yeah, although we we are veering more towards like Budweiser multi ball sort of, um, <laughs> style, aren't we? But um, yeah, I, I think reviews will make it slightly more interesting because it's a tactical thing in the NFL as well, and it certainly is in cricket. I mean, I think um, sports where like tennis, where they use it. Um, and they use it in snooker to reset the balls when there's been a, a foul. Um, that is just cut and dry, isn't it? That is that is factual. That is, is it out, is it in? Um, but VAR so subjective, especially the one that annoys me most, more even more than offsides, is handball. Because you slow anything down to frame by frame, super slow motion. And everything looks bad as handball, doesn't it? Right. Interesting story there. Shefki Kuchi back in uh, back in this has been about 2004, Wednesday's first time in the third tier in my lifetime anyway. And I remember Shefki Kuchi in front of the cop end. He he was already on a yellow card and he was going through on goal. And what happened was he slowed down. He deliberately kind of took a minute step in front of the defender and slowed down. So the defender clattered into him. 
<laughs> and at the time, obviously, everyone was going mental at the ref. Oh, what do you do? Because the referee gave him a second yellow and sent him off. And everyone was convinced it should be a, a red card for the defender and a penalty. But in real time, you know, I saw, from, from the stand, I could, sit, I could clearly see what he had done. Yeah. But you looked at all the replays. I remember everyone online afterwards on the, re- you know, now you look at the replays, it's so clearly a foul. And of course, it looked like a foul. You can't actually tell that, not in real time. Yeah. Uh, but there we go. Yeah. I, I, the, the one that always, and it was one of the first instances, the one that really annoyed me was in the, in the World Cup final when there was a penalty given against Croatia. Um, when I think the game was one all at the time. And it was, it was a corner. Someone flicked on a corner and... I think it was Mandzukic, just jumped, and because he's not, and because he's not like a competitor in a sack race, he had his arm slightly in the air, um, and there's nothing, and he just hit it a point blank range. You hit his hand, right. what can you do? And the ref go after after about after about two hours of consultation with video screens, they decided to give a penalty and France <laughs> scored and won the final, um, and he kind of ruined the game a bit. I thought, um, hmm. yeah, just. There's no, I, I don't mind the referee getting things wrong sometimes. That's part of the game, isn't it? That's yeah, yeah. Especially if you obviously if you win for an unjust goal, there can be nothing sweeter. Oh, I know, absolutely, absolutely. Winning by unfair means is better than winning by fair means. <laughs> so, fact number two: VAR is rubbish, and that takes us on to our bizarre fan. Now, Manchester City—they've got some very famous fans. You know, the Gallagher brothers and Ricky Hatton for me. You're probably looking at three of the most hardcore celebrity football fans, right? Can you think of more hardcore football fans than those three? There's probably there aren't many football fans who are sort of synonymous with a club as those three because they would sort of well, Ricky Hatton used to sort of wear Man City attire all the time. I suppose I suppose Tony Bellew in the boxing world is almost on a par, isn't he? Right. Oh, I'm not sure. I, I don't think any because I mean Hatton used to actually. I suppose Ben you did as well, actually. Hatton used to go out to Blue Moon, didn't he? He used to go out to Manchester City's uh, song. That was his walkout yeah, yeah. music. Um, yeah, well, Ben you went out to the to cars. I'm yeah. putting them on a par as boxer fans. Mm-hmm. Anyway. But but um, they're not bizarre enough. Um, the bizarre fan we've got, uh, bizarre for a couple of reasons, it's the uh, former bearings trader, Nick Leeson. Um, Nick Leeson? Now, what's, what's bizarre about that? I mean, firstly, he's from Watford. Um, and this was before Manchester City, of course, a big club. So, you know, this is, this is a pretty big thing. He's, he's been interviewed about it and said that he, um, yeah, yeah, basically everybody supported the same teams. He just wanted to support someone different. That's why I went for Manchester City. Also, looking on City fan forums, he's often spotted at matches. So he, he is a proper hardcore fan. And also what's bizarre about him? Well, I mean, he, he brought down a bank by gambling and got a couple of years in prison then got terminal cancer, and then all of a sudden it wasn't terminal. I mean, he's just had a very, very bizarre life, and he's owned a football club in Ireland. So, I mean, you know, I think the word the word bizarre, I think, suits Nick Nick Leeson pretty well. Did he own the club in sorry the club in Ireland post prison? Yes, did he? Okay, very okay. trusting. When I suppose if he bought the club, or was it was did he own it or was he chairman? I mean. He, You'd wonder who put Nick Leeson in charge of their finances. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I have to admit, if I was sat next to Nick Leeson in the sands somewhere, I wouldn't recognise him. 
Fair enough, fair enough. He, I mean, you say that, you know, to be fair, probably <laughs> probably knows more about finance than most people, right? Uh, well, presumably he's learned the error of his ways. You know, maybe if he did take over Sheppey United, you would trust that he's probably not going to um, start gambling, uh, betting on Sheppey United's future. But uh, Yeah, yeah I, I've just got it in my head that he looks like Ewan McGregor because Ewan McGregor played <laughs> him in the film. Like the, uh, the statue or... The, the statue of William Wallace up in Edinburgh that just looks exactly like Mel Gibson. Oh, does it? <laughs> and it's right slap bang. Is it, is it on the Royal Mile? It's slap bang in the middle of the city. It's, it's, it was one of those things. It started off people like, this is humiliating. Whereas now it's kind of got that kind of cult appeal. Like, yes, going to see a statue of Mel Gibson, our national hero. Talking to statues, outside of um, Coventry City's ground, there's a Jimmy Hill statue. And it's funny because you look at it. I sort of saw this statue when I was approaching the ground for some, some corporate event a few years ago. And from front on, you see this massive statue outside the ground. And you're like, I wonder who that is. No, I do who that is. And then you see it side on. Oh, it's Jimmy Hill. It's the old half moon. Yeah. Football's had some terrible statues, hasn't it? Football, I mean, the one that's a few, but was it Ted Bateman, the Southampton guy? He was just so out of proportion. It was like, it was kind of like, look, I know it's like a five foot man or four foot eight man just wait. And it just all looked a bit odd. Like you, you can't make a statue of a, a, a full length statue of a grown man and make it like four foot eight. But right? if he's going to make it normal size or bigger or like, or miniature, you can't just make him look. There is an awful um, Cristiano Ronaldo statue at the, um, I think it's at the Cristiano Ronaldo Museum in Madeira. And there was famously that Ronaldo turned up to unveil a statue of himself and it was atrocious. Yes, yes, I remember that one. Bam, bam. Anyway, so from famous statues, bizarre fans, to fact number three. Fact number three is is the most bizarre fact. And this is... um, a 1998 poll by a Californian university voted Manchester City midfielder Jamie Pollock as the most influential person of the millennium, beating Jesus Christ into second place. Can I say, I'm glad you said most influential and not sexiest, because if I remember correctly, Jamie Pollock wasn't the sexiest man in the millennium. But then was he more influential than Jesus Christ? I, I don't know. But you're OK with the placement of Jesus as the second sexiest man in the millennium? <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I would imagine the Son of God was probably better looking than, than your average Joe down the street. I mean, yeah, and beards are in, aren't they? So, <laughs> um, anyway, clearly, well, unless you do happen to think that Jamie Pollock was the most influential man of the last millennium, um, clearly, it's no surprise to discover this was a hijacked poll. Um, and it was hijacked randomly by QPR fans, um, because. Just before the poll, uh, Jamie Pollock scored an own goal that effectively relegated uh, Manchester City to League One. Q 1998-1999 playoff misery for Gillingham um, and kept QPR up that season. And if you haven't seen the own goal, it's, it's one of the greatest own goals ever scored. It's a proper, it looks like he's attacking. Because basically you see the clip with no commentary and this chap, Jamie, Jamie Pollock, Gets the ball in midfield, flicks it over defender's head, runs around the other side and heads it to lob the goalkeeper. And it looks like a brilliant bit of skill. And then you're like, oh, he's not going that way, is he? That's the wrong way. 
Um, yeah, it's just a spectacular own goal. And the fact it was such an important own goal clearly triggered the QPR fans into voting. And monumental Manchester City cock-ups. That reminds me of the classic Steve Lomas in, I think it was a 95-96 season, yes. when there were four or five teams in danger of getting relegated from the Premier League. Wednesday were one of them. I was at Upton Park that day, a last-minute John Newsom header to get a 1-1 draw. Great atmosphere in the away end. And... Um, but yeah, and that day, Steve Lomas had obviously got mixed messages um, because Manchester City were drawing. And I think possibly he heard that Wednesday were losing because we were the only team in the, uh, the lot that were losing. But we were one point above or two points above. So I don't know possibly that got confused. Uh, the message got confused. But anyway, long story short, Steve Lomas ended up Manchester City needed another goal. But Steve Lomas ended up taking the ball into the corner and wasting time uh, yes. <laughs> to get his club relegated, which is uh, which is a pretty special level of uh, of stupidity. Yeah, I, I was once at a game with something well vaguely similar happened. I was at um, just a bit of name dropping here. I was at um, I was at Italy Bulgaria in Euro two thousand and four, um, and Italy need basically Italy needed to win to go through. Um, providing that somebody won the other game in the group, which was Sweden against Denmark. And Bulgaria were beating Italy for the majority of the game. And Cassano scored two late goals for Italy, including a last-minute winner, which he started doing without, without wishing to sort of racially stereotype. The Italians can get very passionate about their goal celebrations, can't they? And he properly went off on charging towards the dugout. Like, it looked like he was in tears. Upon reaching the dugout, he discovered that Sweden scored late equaliser and drawn two with Denmark and Italy were out. Um, um, and it was, by all accounts, it was a very, very contrived two-all draw in the other game. <laughs> oh, dear. So go, back to Jamie Pollock. So he, um, th- I mean, this has become quite a common thing now. I think they've stopped, have they just stopped doing like um, public opinion polls because... Uh, <laughs> Because I, I know, I know. Um, was it Time Magazine? I think Rain, the, the K-pop star, didn't he get most influential man of uh, what, the millennium, the year, the decade, or whatever it was? Wow, I, I know a more legitimate source. So here's a good question for you. Um, a friend sent me actually. You a YouGov poll recently was asking people to name the most influential man of 2021. Do you want to guess who won? Was it Laurie Knox? No, it was Captain Tom. Captain, oh, my word. Oh, my word. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he, just, he didn't even do his laps in 2021, did he? It was 2020 laps. Um, oh, yeah, dear. He, he beat, like, Joe Biden. Um, who else was influential? The people, the, the people who discovered the vaccine, they were fairly influential, I thought, weren't they? I think so, yes. Yeah, but, you know, no, it was, it was Captain Tom. But... One more thing on hijacked polls, because clearly uh, I think we all got a bit bored of like the Boaty McBoat face thing, didn't we? And it was like, yeah, it was funny. Yeah. But yeah, whatever. Um, but my favourite ever hijacked poll was uh, about 10 years ago, Mountain Dew wanted to introduce a new flavour, a new flavour. So they did an online poll for what do you want the new flavour to be called? And they had to, before the poll day ended, they had to take it down because it had been hijacked. And at the time it was taken down, the winning vote, the most votes for the new flavour of Mountain Dew was Hitler did nothing wrong. Yeah, it's probably not going to look too good in a bottle in the uh, supermarket, is it? Um, 
I'll give it a go. Not quite the same level as that, but I do remember, yeah, Phil O'Donnell, you know, as a big money, well, a Bosman signing for Wednesday on 25 grand a week. Um, you know, this is like, what, 20, 25 years ago. And he rarely played, kind of bled the club dry as we got relegated through the divisions. Uh, I mean, no, no fault of his, right? I mean, you know, what, what else are you going to do but take the money, right? Um, and, yeah, his last season when, I don't know, he played a handful of times, uh, I think a load of Wednesday fans in protest. We'd been rubbish. Nobody had been good. But a load of Wednesday fans got together and voted Phil O'Donnell as the club's player of the year that season. And all that happened is like the poll just disappeared from the website and the club announced the player of the year this year is, and I can't remember who actually won it. And then they just had a, a sentence at the bottom. Uh, this is the first time in history that the um, the popular vote did not match the winning candidate or something along those lines. But uh, there we go, there we go. I'm sure. I'm sure this isn't the first time it's happened, possibly to this club. But um, Norwich City, like most clubs, run an online goal of the month poll every month. Mm. The problem was last month they didn't score a goal, <laughs> so so they had to throw in like youth team games and <laughs> the under whatever into it just to get a poll up there. Um, I mean, I'm I'm sure. I mean, Gillingham don't do this. I'm sure they used to do it, and I'm sure. There was one month where we scored two goals and they're both penalties. <laughs> I mean, surely teams will think about it. You'll get some months, won't you, where there are international, you know, the calendar and the internet. Maybe you've only got two games, and especially if you're Norwich, right? Yeah, that's There's a pretty big charge. You're going to go two, maybe three games without scoring. You know, you, you think we're just, you know, maybe if you did it from the beginning and you had youth team goals and reserve team goals in the beginning, it's not as bad. But if you, you know, if you just introduce them to, to cover, uh, like a like a plaster to cover the fact that your first team didn't score. That's pretty embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Mister Day, what are we thinking about Manchester City? I don't I don't think any danger to uh, to our current champions who are Leicester City. Thank you. Um, yes, I don't think. Uh, yeah, I feel like Manchester City are way off the pace here. Yeah, I feel Man- Manchester City are fairly interesting. Not not quite Everton levels are boring, but you know there's you know there's, there's a club that's obviously done a lot. I mean they've uh, um, they won the European Cup Winners Cup before it was uh, you know before before Europe was called. They uh, you know they they've done a lot. They've obviously been up and down, yeah, lots of lots of. But you know I don't feel like we've got the kind of bizarre. You know I, I like bizarre facts. I like uh, Hugh Lewis and the news um, and things like that. You know so yeah, I don't think Manchester City have really done it for me here. Anyone who's not listened to the Arsenal episode will be really confused by going, I like Huey Lewis in the news. That, that just sounds like you're really to listen to the Arsenal episode. We're not telling you any more than that. This is yeah. a clickbait at its finest. But um, if, you like, if you like international supervillains, there's a lot for you in that episode. <laughs> um, and next week, of course, it's Manchester United. Who, ooh, I mean, I think the fact that they're big kind of... Mate, probably loses them a couple of points, right? You know, you, did, you didn't like Liverpool, did you? Because they're a big team. But obviously, Manchester United, there's a lot going on there from the Munich disaster to going 25 years without a league title, despite being the biggest club in the country, maybe the world. Um, yeah, Alex Ferguson going around, getting players in when they're drinking. Um, See, that that's, I'm fine with that. I, I don't think the Munich disaster is suitable for a light-hearted football podcast. No, fair enough. Fair. I'm sure. I'm sure we can find something light-hearted from the from, from the aftermath. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe. 
Um, I'll get back to you on that one. Okay, well, Mr. Day, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. And join us next week for the Manchester United podcast. Bye-bye.